Good morning. Happy October 1st. Fall is upon us. Hey, my name is Stephanie Roberts. Um, my uh, husband and I have the privilege of pastoring International Family Church. If, uh, and um, if, you, if I haven't met you, I'll be up in the cafe today for our life group launch after service. So come on up and, and um, say hey. Hey, this morning my husband is in Ohio. He is ministering at um, one of his best friend's church. They turn uh, 19 today, their church. And um, he has been friends, his name is also Josh, since orientation day in Bible school. So they go back a while. So he's getting to be there um, with them today. And so I am here with you uh, to uh, continue in our relationship series. If you missed um, part one and two, I would encourage you to go to our website, intlfamilychurch.com, go to our YouTube channels, podcast, however you consume content, and catch up on the, the last two sessions. And then this coming Sunday, next week, we'll be doing, we'll be ending this series with a question and answer panel. And so any questions you might have regarding relationships that we haven't covered, whether it's uh, the dynamic of friendships, marriage, parenting, in-laws, um, parents, whatever it might be, coworkers, um, all aspects of relationships, you can submit your questions a, a few different ways. One, there's a QR code at the hub. You can go scan that and, and put a question in on social media. We have the form out there. Or you can grab one of the Connect cards off the seat back in front of you, write your question and turn it in at the hub or drop it in any of the black offering uh, receptacles that are in, in the lobbies. And we will tackle those next week, all right? Don't be too hard on us with those questions. No, I'm just kidding. We're here to help. All right. Um, so here we go. I don't think that we can talk about relationships uh, without talking about emotions. Okay. Uh, emotions are not a male-female thing. Um, I think sometimes we think they can be categorized as one over the other. Um, my dad was here in first service. Um, I'm one of four girls, so my dad was surrounded by females. Uh, even our cat was a female. And um, my dad was surrounded by females. And my dad's personality is very even keel. And so I grew up thinking that men were very chill. Very chill. Very even keel. Very few words. You know, and um, I can count maybe on one hand the number of times that, I, that my dad was angry. Um, and it was never towards someone. It was always because, if memory serves me correctly, uh, because someone had misplaced his tools. They had used his tools and not put it back in the right spot. And so um, I'm sure he was angry about other things, but those are, that's what sticks out most to me. So I was not used to uh, a passionate male figure in my life um, until I met my husband. <laughs> and um, I met him at 19, and I was enthralled because he was so different from my dad in the fact that he talked all the time. <laughs> So many words, so many words, and um, I could just listen, and just so many words, so many emotions, so passionate, he would get so passionate about things, and that was exciting, and it was, oh, and then um, yeah, I knew my husband for 12 years before we got married, we've been married 12 years now, so this is 24 years of experience talking here, um, that passion 
got a little bit like, what the heck? Can anything just be chill, right? Can we just not, like, can everything not be a thing? And um, it's not bad. We, we compliment each other really well. But then I had kids, and my oldest is nine, and oh, is he built like his daddy in terms of emotions and passion. And so I am now surrounded by all these feelings and this passion and this emotion, and I'm just like, okay, how do we navigate this? Like, how do we do this? Let's talk through this. And so um, I've done a lot of um, studying on emotions <laughs> because I've needed help, okay? So this is where this is coming from today. So uh, emotions are God-given. You know, and if we didn't have emotions, we would probably all say that relationships would be easy. Our feelings would never be hurt, yeah. right. never get bitter, never get resentful. Um, you know, we'd never uh, get envious or any of those things. But on the flip side, there, there's so much beauty that happens with our emotions um, that we wouldn't experience too, right? Camaraderie. We wouldn't experience love. We wouldn't experience joy. We wouldn't experience what it means to be a part of a team. And so emotions are God-given. They are indicators, and they're not dictators. Amen. They're meant to enhance our life. They're not meant to drive our life. And where we get in trouble is we, experience, we feel something so deeply that that then becomes the driving force behind what we say and do. We were never designed by God to operate emotionally without the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the oil that the engine of our emotions is designed to run on. I'm just going to stay in the car theme that my husband started, right? Just like a car without oil in the engine, we overheat emotionally and suffer damage when we are not depending on him. When we are depending on him, we hum right along without overheating and without damaging. The Lord enabled us with a will to keep our emotions in check. Our will is capable of making good decisions in spite of overwhelming emotions. That can be hard to process. Our will is capable of making good decisions in spite of overwhelming emotions. This is where I'm living in my house right now with a nine-year-old, a four-year-old, and a three-year-old, teaching that we can choose not to hit even when we're so angry that someone's grabbed our toy, right? It's just at the very basic level. In fact, I believe that to be emotionally healed and healthy, you have to subject your emotions to your, to your will. Our emotions are real, but it doesn't mean that they're always right. But when we choose to live based on the word, to walk out our will based on the word, we get stronger. And we're able to navigate some of these sticky emotional situations with the Holy Spirit. It's possible to go through life without carrying emotional baggage. It's possible to go through life being emotionally whole no matter what you have experienced. And the whole goal of today as we talk about forgiveness, repentance, and reconciliation is um, for us all to be made whole because it's not God's heart for us to go through life wounded. Jesus is our healer. And no matter what has happened to you, he wants you whole. And there is nothing that you have encountered. There is nothing that has been done to you. There is nothing that has been said about you. And there's nothing that you've done that Jesus cannot heal. Amen. So my prayer for you today as we start 
is that today would start you on a journey where there is hope for healing, Amen. where you've been wounded. It's giving you some revelation knowledge on navigating some situations that you might encounter in the future. Or it's helping you from heal from things that have happened in the past. All right, let's pray. Father God, I love you so very much, and I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that your word is true. No matter what we feel and no matter what we've experienced, no matter what's been said or done to us, Lord, your desire is for us to be made whole. And I thank you that that wholeness is not dependent upon anything else but our trust in you. Lord, I ask you to help me to... Um, Share this morning exactly as you placed on my heart to share that your heart would shine through in everything and that people would be made whole and reconciled to you as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, well, I don't think that there's a more um, fitting uh, account in the Bible for forgiveness, repentance, and reconciliation than the account of Joseph. If you're familiar with the story of Joseph, it's in the, it's in the book of Genesis somewhere around chapters 38, 39, 40, all through chapter uh, 40 through 47. And Joseph was a young boy whose brothers were so angry at him that um, they sold him into slavery. He was about 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. And God raised him up out of prison, and he became the rice, vice regent, the second in command in all of Egypt. And he was overseeing a famine that God had predicted through a dream that he gave Pharaoh and that Joseph interpreted. Joseph right now is in charge of getting food to everyone in Egypt and the lands around it. And Joseph and his brothers came down to buy food because of the famine, but they did not know that they were encountering Joseph. In chapters 43 and 44, Joseph tests them to see if they have changed and in chapter 45, Joseph determines that they have changed, and he chooses to reveal himself to them. And so I want to pick up right now and read Genesis 45. Give me two minutes as we read these verses, 1 through 15. If you've got a device or a Bible, you can follow along. In case you're wondering, this is not my Bible, this is my son's. <laughs> yes, I walked out of the house. All three kids totally dressed and clothed, but no Bible. So... I took his. All right. <laughs> Genesis 45. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all of his attendants, so he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me, and they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into slavery in Egypt. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here, because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine had been in the land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Return quickly to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me without delay. You can settle in the land of Goshen and be near me. There I will sustain you, for there will be five more years of famine. 
Otherwise, you, your household, and everything you have will become destitute. Look, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin can see that I am the one speaking to you. Tell my father about all my glory in Egypt and about all you have seen, and bring my father here quickly. Then Joseph threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin wept on his shoulder. Joseph kissed each of his brothers as he wept, and afterward his brothers talked with him. If you read these chapters, you understand what a huge, huge feat that was for Joseph. I want to talk to you about forgiveness as we start off. I want to talk to you about the inner work of forgiveness, and this is what happens on the inside of you. It's going to the Lord with any hurt, pain, feelings of resentment, bitterness, revenge, and the desire to inflict pain on someone who has hurt you. It's laying everything down at his feet and trusting Jesus with them, trusting and believing that he is both loving and just. Letting go of bitterness means letting go of the right to personally exact revenge. Forgiveness is not about you going to someone else. It's not about you going to the person who's hurt you. It's about you going to Jesus and trusting him to heal you. Forgiveness is letting go of my right to hurt another person for hurting me. This inner work is between you and God. We're taking our feelings and emotions to God and giving him the burden of them. And this can be very hard to do because we feel like we have to carry the torch of our hurt and pain. And if we lay it down, we're letting someone off the hook. But forgiveness is not letting people off the hook for what they've done. Forgiveness does not mean that we just forget and move on. Forgiveness does not mean that we are sweeping something under the rug and never addressing it or talking about it. Forgiveness does not mean that we don't press charges. And forgiveness does not mean that there is never any justice. Forgiveness is simply me trusting God to bring justice. Romans 12, 17 through 21 says, Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Forgiveness is giving up our right to pay back. It's us choosing to trust God that at the end of time, he's going to deal with everyone. We have to trust that he is the only righteous judge. As victims, our judgment is not always right. And how we would repay someone for what they've done to us is not always just. So we have to choose to entrust our pain to the Lord. (coughs) I think sometimes we think if we forgive, we can't be angry. And I think we need to recognize that it's okay to be angry. Anger is not a sin. But bitterness and resentment and rage will poison us from the inside out. Anger is an entirely appropriate response when we've been wronged. Whether it was last week or whether it was decades ago, God gets angry with sin too. But in our anger, we still have to go to God and trust him with our emotions and our feelings. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. Anger is not a sin when it's managed the right way. But when we allow our anger, undealt with anger to cause us to treat people in a way that is not right, that is when anger becomes a sin. 
You can be totally angry about what's happened to you and you have the right to be that, but you don't have the right to take that anger out on other people. In the 20 years before Joseph sees his brothers, God has done a work in his heart. Joseph makes peace with his brothers internally in his heart. When he encounters them, he doesn't have rage or bitterness or fear. His identity is not enmeshed in theirs. He's forgiven them. He hasn't waited for them to ask for forgiveness. And in fact, there's no apology from his brothers recorded in the story. What Joseph does is test his brothers not to pay them back, but to see if their hearts had changed. If the motive of their heart, if they have gone from being so angry at someone that they could sell him into slavery, Joseph sets up a situation where they're put in the same type of situation where he hides a, a, a cup in Benjamin's bag of food. And he sends his guard after him and, they, and opens up Benjamin's bag and there's that cup. So they all go back in front of Joseph and Joseph says, hey, you stole this cup for me. Benjamin's going to stay here. You guys can go. He sets them up to see what their response to that is going to be. Joseph shows wholeness that is not contingent upon his brothers. And if we are relying on an oppressor or an abuser, someone who has hurt us to apologize to be made whole, we may never get that apology. Your wholeness is not dependent upon someone else apologizing to you. They are not your healer. Jesus is your healer. If your fathers say, I'm proud of you, the wound in your heart can never be whole until your mother genuinely compliments you, then you're going to live a life that is broken and hurting, and you're going to project that on other people and perpetuate hurt and brokenness. And that is not God's best. What about when we have wounds from people who are dead? What then? It's not hopeless. And healing is not impossible. Other people are not meant to heal our wounds. Jesus is the healer. And just like Joseph, you can be in the presence of those who have hurt you and wounded you and not cower in fear, not have bitterness and anger and resentment on the inside of you. You can stand before them confidently and boldly, knowing who you are in Christ, having been made whole, and in turn, being a witness of what it means to be a child of God. This inner work of forgiveness is going to God so that we can be whole no matter what the other person does. And can I tell you that doing this inner work is challenging, and it can take time, and it doesn't mean that bad memories are suddenly forgotten. A scar can remain, but it does mean that there is no longer a wound. And what happens when we, when we walk around wounded? When you walk around with a wound and someone touches you, and so instead of connecting and being in relationship with people, you step back. Because to be in relationship hurts because you've got these wounds. And you have every right to be hurt and upset but now you're missing out on the fullness of what God has for you in the context of relationships because you're, you're putting it off on what someone else has done. 
So instead, you're not taking ownership for someone else's actions. We'll get to repentance in a moment. But instead, you're saying, no, 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 I know the healer. And so, Lord, I'm going to take all of my pain, all of my hurt. I'm going to take all of this, and I'm going to come into your presence. I'm going to lay it at your feet, and I'm going to ask you to make me whole. And we do this before we talk to anyone else. We don't go to that person and forgive them. I think we do such a disservice when we tell people, well, you should go and forgive someone when they don't have a repentant heart. When they've never come and repented for, for wronging you, all we do when we tell people to go do that is, is make that person's guilt go away. And then they never feel that sting of, man, I need to, I need to own my actions. So forgive <clears throat> is more than an apology. And just for us all being on the same plane, all of us need to learn how to apologize and repent, right? We are human beings. We hurt people carelessly at times, unintentionally, intentionally, out of anger, out of our own hurt. And so just apologizing one-on-one, -on -one, saying, I'm sorry you took it that way is not an apology, okay? I'm sorry you heard it that way. It's not an apology. The apology is you owning what you did. The apology is not putting something that happened back on that person because we don't like how it feels for someone to tell us that we've hurt them. Right? That's an uncomfortable feeling. But we can apologize for what we have said and done and how we said something or carelessly hurt someone. Apologies include taking responsibility for what we did. I'm sorry I was rude. I'm sorry I snapped at you. I'm sorry I had that kind of tone. I'm sorry I repent and I do not want to do that to you again. Amen. When we mess up, we have to apologize in the right way. Take responsibility and make a commitment to do the things that we need to do that will lead to a different outcome the next time you're in the same kind of situation. When you've done something wrong, remorse, feeling bad is not enough. It's a start. We want to feel bad and move on, but that isn't how repentance works. Repentance brings remorse, begins with remorse, and then leads to change. If someone is truly repentant, they will apologize and their actions will change. Actions will change. Their actions will change. It may take time. You will see the fruit of it in your life. Luke 3.8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, when you are sorry, show me. If you have hurt someone and broken trust, you don't get to be the one that puts a timeline on when that person chooses to forgive you or chooses to, to walk and step in relationship with you again. If you're the one that has hurt someone, your role is to repent, to then walk out your apology. Because from a heart of, I love you so much, I would never want to hurt you. I'm so sorry that I did hurt you. And now I'm going to walk out my apology of you that you need to forgive me by this date and by this time or screw it. I'm just going to go back to the way I was. 
That's not repentance. Repentance is a change of heart. And they're apologizing and apologizing and apologizing, but we end up right back where we were over and over and over again. That should be a red flag to you. That should be something that makes you kind of like sit up and be like, okay, something's not right. Let us get some help. Luke 17, three through four says, so watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. What this is saying is when someone hurts you, you you must forgive them. What this is saying is when someone hurts you, you need to go tell them. Not go tell 50 other people. Right? Not go tell 50 other people. Right? You need to be a grown-up and go to the person and say, my feelings have been hurt, and this is why, and express it. Let them know. Because if you want to be in a relationship with someone, if you value someone, if you love someone, then you want to know how to be in relationship with each other. You don't want to do something that hurts them. And sometimes these things are just so little, but because we don't speak up, they get really big. And there's a lot of tension in our home, and there's tension in our marriage, and there's strife with our kids, and there's stuff going on at work where we just can never seem to get along with coworkers, and we can never seem to get along with our boss, and so we're on our 12th job, or our fourth marriage, or go down the line, simply because we're not choosing to have a conversation. Let's talk. It's uncomfortable. I know that. But see, when you're in a relationship with someone who genuinely cares about you, and you genuinely, you can both come from the place of, I love you. You love me. I don't want to hurt you. I don't, I don't want, you don't want to hurt me. So let's help make each other better. Let's grow together. It's, it's so, it's why we love small groups and dream teams. These are supposed to be atmospheres and environments where you connect with each other, where you hold each other accountable, where you add value to each other, where you see examples of godly marriages and godly parenting and godly friendships and relationships, where iron sharpens iron. Something goes off on the inside of you and you think, oh, you know, that's not how we would handle conflict on my team. That's not, that's not how thing or that situation a few weeks ago when we had that conversation. Like, it's so we can be with one another and grow together. They're working on it, and there is change. And that change should be what speaks of their heart and their motive, loving you. Joseph was testing his brothers to see if they had changed if they took responsibility and were repentant. He was looking more for repentance than he was an apology. And that's what he got. He saw repentance when, they, when he put them in that situation and he put before his brothers, hey, just, before his brothers, hey, just throw your younger brother in jail. Sell him off to slavery, just like they had done to him. The same brother that was the instigator of that 20 years prior was the same brother that said, no, wait a second. Don't take Benjamin, take me instead. And he saw repentance. God has made provision for forgiveness through repentance. 
It's the same the same way God has offered that, the same way it is for us, the same, for, the same way God has offered that, the same way it is for us, the same for our relationships. Grace can be extended when repentance is offered. When repentance is offered, <clears throat> then reconciliation is possible. Let's talk about reconciliation. You cannot force forgiveness or repentance. It's a choice. Reconciliation is always what God wants. He always wants us to be reconciled back to him. It's the whole reason that he sent his son. I, um, I can't think of a, a, this is just a really powerful illustration that I want to read to you of forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation. Um, and it's the story of Corey Ten Boom. Corey was a Dutch watchmaker, and she and her family hid Jews during World War II. They were turned in by a neighbor, and their family was arrested and put in jail. Ultimately, Corey and her sister were sent to a concentration camp. And what I want to read to you is an excerpt from one of her books. Listen to this. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947 and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the messages that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I liked to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collected their wraps, and in silence left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück construction con concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fräulein, how good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. 
Fräulein, again the hand came out. Will you forgive me? As I stood there, I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. But those who nursed their bitterness and remained, remained invalids, it was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the filling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. I believe there's a whole aspect of the love of God that we don't walk in until we walk in forgiveness. What God desires more than anything is reconciliation with you. And the story of Joseph points to Jesus throughout it. In chapter 44, when the brothers are presented with that opportunity to enslave Benjamin, to to rip him from his father, just like they ripped Joseph from their father. Instead of looking out for themselves, Judah said, no, take me instead. One person taking the place of another is the heart of Christian faith. Judah was saying, take me so that Benjamin can be reconciled back to our father. This is what Jesus has done for us so that we can be made whole and reconciled back to God. And what he wants for you today, not only to be reconciled back to him, but he wants for you to be made whole. He doesn't want for you to walk around wounded and hurting. He doesn't want you to walk around arms up, keeping people at a distance. He doesn't want you projecting the pain you've experienced onto other people. He wants you healed. Jesus has made that way for us to be reconciled back to God. Grace is available to every single one of us. All we have to do is repent and receive his forgiveness.
Will you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? I want to do a couple things before we get to giving you the opportunity to reconcile yourself to the Lord. I want to pray for those of you who, in the course of listening this morning, you recognize that you need to go to God and receive forgiveness. You need to go to him with your emotions and your hurts and your pain and your wound, and you want to experience his forgiveness for your life. And I want to pray for those who have recognized in the course of this that you need to repent, that there are things that you need to let God know, I shouldn't have done that. And there's people in your life that you need to go to and repent to. And when that repentance happens, there's reconciliation that can be made between you and those people. So in this moment, if you recognize that you are in need of forgiveness or to repent, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Right where you're at in your seat. Yeah, I see those hands. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I see you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your healing power. Father, I pray for these that have lifted their hands, that have taken that first step and said, I want to experience the forgiveness of my Father God. I want to be made whole. For those, Father, who are recognizing their need to repent, who are recognizing their need to make things right with other people, Father, I ask for you to make a way for them in relationships where there seems to be no way, in relationships where the hurt seems so great and so insurmountable. Lord, I thank you for your healing power. I thank you, Father God, for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. And I thank you that each one would experience your love in a greater way this morning. And now maybe uh, in the course of this, you're recognizing that you need to reconcile your life back to God. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your savior. You've never asked for forgiveness of your sins and you've never uh, recognized our heavenly father as your own. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I wanna lead us in a prayer together. Anyone who would say, I need that, I need my heavenly father. I need Jesus to be my savior. I see your hands, yep. Thank you, Father God. All right, let's all pray this prayer together. Father God, I recognize my need for a savior. I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me, to forgive me of my sins, and to make me whole. And today, I choose you. I choose to serve you. I choose to love you, and I ask you to help me navigate this life in a way that brings glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen.